Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today we're venturing back into our pasts. Have you ever watched a movie and thought that movie was amazing and then watched it some years later and thought to yourself, what was I thinking? Uh, Lloyd and I both have an experience like this that we thought we'd bring to the table. For me, the film was Arlington Road. The year is 1999. And for Lloyd, the game with um, Michael Douglas. So when did you first see the game? I, I saw it on VHS, rented it out. I uh, didn't know much about it at all other than the director did um, Seven and Seven was like one of my favourite movies and I watched the game and I'm a huge Michael Douglas um, fan. I think I watched it with my brother and maybe a friend. Maybe we had one of those sleep overnights. I can't quite remember exactly. And I watched it and I was so blown away with that movie. I had no idea where I was going. I was like, who's behind this? What's going on? It's one of those big conspiracy theory movies that were really popular in the 90s. One of my favorites, and we talked about this uh, Enemy at the State, now Tony Scott retrospective, how that's a big conspiracy theory movie. And it was huge in the 90s. And the game fit into that mold. And there was lots of TV shows in the same vein. Um, mainly X-Files of course the government's running everything you know mm-hmm. or who's behind that who's behind that the game is very similar if those of you guys who haven't seen it I'm definitely going to be spoiling it <laughs> in this podcast so strongly advise you watch the game by David Fincher obviously spoilers for Arlington Road as well um, it's interesting that both the films we've chosen have these kind of twists in them and that's probably part of like when I watched The Sixth Sense the person I was sitting next to leaned over and said I think he's a ghost <laughs> partway during the film and then I thought watching the film I was like oh I think he is a ghost you know I hadn't immediately picked it they had by halfway through the film kudos to them <laughs> but obviously that's ruined the twist for me so having watched these two films and not known the twist that's probably part of what's blown us away and my friend was like oh yeah man you're gonna watch the Six Sense that film is weird man Bruce Willis isn't really dead or something I don't know and I didn't know what he meant by that and I'm watching it going like 20 minutes in I'm like oh you bastard <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen The Sixth Sense by now I'm not apologising for the spoilers <laughs> there uh but the game, uh, I've actually watched that one as well prior to re-watching it for this podcast. Um, and I'd seen it on TV, so I'd had this experience which was interrupted by three-minute ad breaks. So that kind of took me out of it a little bit. And the I, length was really blown out, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was, because it was two hours without any ad breaks, like, you know, runtime. But yeah, just, I can't recall anything about the first viewing except for the ending. Yeah. Having rewatched it, the first thing that really blew me away about the game, which is, I guess, our starting point now, Sean Penn is in so few scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot he was in it. <laughs> but he's so influential, yeah. isn't he? He has a big screen presence, and uh, he seems so young in the movie. I know he's his brother, yeah. um, and Michael Douglas is an older-ish guy, middle-aged man in the movie, but I don't know, just, he just seems like a 20-year-old. You know, with a lot of connections. <laughs> that he's screwed up a lot in his life. Yeah. We get that first scene, his, like, setup is, like, the crystal... This is down to the writing, obviously, but the crystal meth reference, dropping out of school, rehab. Uh, Conrad, the brother who sets the whole film in motion, basically. He's in three or four scenes. 
but they're just such good scenes that you forgot how sort of good Sean Penn was at that point, I suppose. Yeah, look, David Fincher, as you mentioned, uh, directed the film, so... Yeah, this is like his... Uh, like, he ha- was a m- had a complete disaster with Alien 3. Of course, coming back with 7 was a huge critical hit in 995, 996, and 997 was the game. So this is just, like, him ramping up to be the big, momentous success that he is. But, um... Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I put Seven and the game together. I think I was just such a huge fan of Seven. And then when this movie was advertised um, from the director of Seven, I was expecting, and I, which is what I got, a big twist at the end. And I don't think David Fincher... Oh, he kind of does do that in a lot of his films. The films are ramped up for something at the end. Not, not as bad as M. Night Shyamalan films, but yeah. <laughs> not lately as well, I suppose. Social Network, for example. Yeah. Um, it's telling a real story and Gorn Girls obviously being true to a book I think it definitely has this tone doesn't he Fincher so it's good to see some of it sort of forming in the game I suppose what I was worried watching the game again for this uh, podcast was I hadn't seen it since that viewing I was so blown away with I didn't want that magic to be ruined or there was just something about I just didn't want to return to it was this going to be effective the second time around because I knew that what was happening and so much time had passed it still was to me but I don't know maybe I watched this when I was a teenager for crying out loud there was a lot of holes in the movie that Mm. that I spotted that sort of you know disrupted Interrupted me a little bit but um yeah that ending is so emotional to me just so overwhelming and i love the use of flashbacks that eight millimeter mm-hmm. just sort of um like the, his memories have that fabric and that quality and that texture the uh, with the scratches and everything like that that was a beautiful touch yeah <laughs> that's what that's what i love about cinema i think cinema is so has such a huge connection to human beings because it intertwines so much with memory uh, that's a film critic's theory I read a long time ago that that's why cinema is such an emotional impact for us and so important to us is because rather than books which you read nothing against books obviously or or theater which is what you get to go see film can move at a certain speed that it acts like memory and everything like that and I think this film is a really good example of that because as Michael Douglas is falling we get flashbacks to what he's thinking of and you really interjected into those last moments that he well what he thinks is his last moments of his life is really beautiful hmm that's interesting you mentioned memory um i actually had a really strange experience with arlington road so i saw this film uh, at the cinema by myself and probably the part of that had you know the immersion of watching it part of you know my huge enjoyment for it uh, I thought it was amazing at the time, and um, for a long time I had a poster of Arlington Road up in my room, and people would ask me about it, and I'd say, oh, it's a great movie, you should just check it out, but I wouldn't tell anyone anything about it. Because you didn't want to spoil it to me? I didn't yeah, want to yeah. spoil it. I wasn't like that person saying, oh yeah, The Sixth Sense, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it, and I was very courteous in that manner. I'd never seen it since, and so, I mean, it's like about 14 years uh, or so now that, you know, between viewings. I remembered the ending. I remembered it very well. I remembered him getting you know the last difference in the big end in the ending where jeff bridges opens the boot of his car and finds out he has driven the bombs into the fbi headquarters the big final twist of the film you live in that moment too long first of all when you watch it uh there's too many slow motion shots too many everyone's meant to be here except you kind of thing like it takes away from it like everybody will see it coming i feel like it it's not as like tight as the editing should be and i don't know if i saw it 
in the moment last time you know i don't remember 14 years ago but the difference my memory changed something about the ending for me the second time around and i went oh i thought this happened because i remembered it differently what was the so their kid well his kid jeff bridges is a single dad dating brooke and stuff at the time he's taken off in the car at the end of the film and goes off to live with relatives i remembered tim robbins raising the kid like welcome to our family kind of thing in my head that was like the ultimate middle finger to jeff bridges would be that he would be raising the kid after setting him up as a terrorist uh, who acted alone and everything like that so in my head i'd changed the ending and made it worse and maybe that's maybe i've imprinted that on the film maybe i've made that a fear of my own that you know something happens with parents and then you're raised by somebody else i don't know yeah it's very scary <laughs> yeah so i had changed it differently and i read there was a difference in the ending which was filmed and i wondered if for some reason this was in the theater and like i saw a different cut at the movies pretty much i'd read that there was a scene filmed where the kid talked to tim robbins and that kid's in gladiator later on in his career uh it talks to tim robbins and then tim robbins says something that makes him think tim robbins is a terrorist and like realize yeah you know that they filmed a sequence that you know basically the kid knew his dad wasn't a crazy terrorist yeah and the fact that that scene existed made me wonder if it was ever in the original cut of the film well, there was a film that was released and i'm struggling to think of the name of it but um it was either al pacino or robert de niro and they released two different theatrical versions and uh the endings were different and it was like a whodunit um it's not 88 minutes or something something not nice 88 and- minutes it was um i may have to look it up but it's uh <laughs> it's a film which had something to do with them growing a kid or like um i think greg kinnear was in it as well and if anybody's listening to this podcast and just <laughs> They're probably shouting, screaming <laughs> don't you hate that um yeah i like uh arlington road there was just a few issues uh like when i first saw that movie i was so strapped in blown away it was such a the quality of acting firstly was sublime jeff bridges is up absolutely amazing tim robbins who i've always been critical of i think his only great film was shawshank redemption and he always gets these really um uh, he gets these little roles in really great movies and i think personally he ruins them uh personally i really hate his performance in mystic river that that's the film i went okay maybe this guy isn't <laughs> as good as i thought he was but he, i thought he was pretty good in this and um cusack um is it what, what, john cusack john cusack is it john cusack oh, john cusack really? they john were actually cusack? in high fidelity together um tim <laughs> robinson yeah. and john cusack they were both supporting characters in john cusack's you know starring main yeah yeah role in high fidelity yeah yeah so i really um was you know you, if you have that high quality of actors they're gonna you know okay this is a triple a movie it just gets gets that impression and jeff bridges what a whirlwind of a performance that was like the emotional intensity just goes down that was really good i found joan cusack really creepy in this yeah. like very stepford wife creepy and yeah. i know that's what they were going for yeah Nailed the, it. i think one of the faults in this movie is that technique of the bad guy is just always there like you turn around <gasps> they're watching me the whole time <laughs> i hate that technique like i love halloween and stuff like that but this movie just did it way too much just went way over the top with it mm. um yeah i found as well there were too many shots of eyes <laughs> like too many close-ups of eyes like I, I don't know that annoyed me it just felt overused but anyway it just yeah it felt like uh, Jeff Bridges didn't have a chance from the get-go no. you know yeah so I've just googled that film uh, the film was Godsend from 2004 
And the thing about Godsend was that Greg Kinnear, Robert De Niro, Rebecca Romaine Stamos, who's now gone back to Rebecca Romaine, uh, the film had five different endings filmed and they released two different theatrical versions, at least in Australia. Uh, so depending which cinema you saw it in, you know, you would see a different ending. If you're discussing the film with someone, they would say, no, no, this is what happened. <laughs> what a disaster. <laughs> yeah. So I did wonder if there was a different theatrical release to Arlington Road that had that conversation with the kid or some other scene that I'd missed the first time around. I don't know why I thought the kid had been adopted by yeah. Tim Robbins. And Were you Joan so Cusick. sure of it? No, uh, that's just how I remembered it. Like, you know, memory can change the colour of a car. Like in yeah. Memento, they say memory's not a reliable indicator. Um, but I, I think it's a perfect ending with the creepy conversation, how let's move somewhere nice next time we haven't heard yet. You know, it sounds like on to the next project. And I really like that. I feel like... Maybe the issue with Arlington Road is um, the middle, where you're wondering what's going on, and as a viewer, you're not sure whether to believe him or. And some really her. unbelievable situations, like um, he asks his FBI friend, like, "Oh, look up. Could you look up this flag name? No, I can't do that. Get creative." Yeah. And his idea for being creative is to break it. Well you know uh, tell the kids a lie that I'm waiting for a locksmith and can I use your phone mm. and he's looking through his papers just like oh god that's your idea of being creative could you hire a private detective or something you're and a professor <laughs> what was behind that frame like there was another blueprint we never got to know what that was yeah both these movies suffer from um, kind of a you have to go with it obviously we did 14 years ago or whenever. And we saw it at that perfect age as yeah, well, yeah. That's right. Now we're sceptical, aren't we? What yeah, because very... F like, I've seen a lot now, but at that time, very few movies, the bad guys win. Oh, like, yeah. Like, uh, Seven, in a way, the good guys win because he's dead, but, but ultimately... he gets what he wants. Ultimately gets what he mm. wants. Um, and Arlington Road, at the end of it, you're like, what? Huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, that, that's the reaction. And then there's that whole denouement of um, the images of uh, the newsreels going on. Oh, yeah, he acted alone and everything like that. And it's just, oh, it all makes sense now. If you could picture me, I was a jock mm -hmm. in high school. No, I was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, in high school, like, uh, I was just so blown away by that. It was just like, wow. So you did see Arlington Road years ago? Yes. As well? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and I saw it, it also, on VHS, yeah. Great. It also blew you away. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you a question about both these films. We'll try and analyse them a little bit. Why doesn't anybody call 911 <laughs> in any situation? He just There's... always goes to the FBI, friend. <laughs> That's right. And doesn't ever call the police and say anything. Like, what about that scene where he drives to pick up his kid from the scout thing and then drives back? He has a mobile phone. He makes no call on the way there or back. Like it, that scene was so eerie how all the scout masters are filmed and yeah. like, no you picked them up no I'm the father wow you guys have got huge holes in how you look after mm, children that's true no yeah. ID required he's not here yeah you've got two <laughs> kids were picked up actually non different last names to the same person like I mean I know it's sort of a conspiracy thing both these have conspiracy elements do you think a film like this would work nowadays like uh, Arlington, Arlington Road specifically because this is pre-September 11th and it goes on about a lot of themes about terrorism obviously and, and hunting, them, uh, hunting them down obviously terrorism has always existed but ch September mm. 11th changed everything changed the world I think it was a very interesting kind of pre-September 11th movie and I think that's what makes it interesting to me now is that I look at it and go you know this thing happened and obviously terrorism as you said it's existed before september 11 but the fact that 
I suppose this seemed like kind of a lead-in to September 11 almost for me, um, maybe with my own personal series of events, just kind of saw this thing and was like, that is a terrorist movie. Like the, the terrorist Siege. Wins. Siege as well was huge, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, around the same time as like the the game, I think could work now. I think the game reminds me a bit of Paycheck, you know, where he gets given things, Ben Affleck's character, and doesn't know what they're for, and it's to like, you know, reverse engineer this kind of... It's different in that. I mean, it's like a memory-based thing, but um, Truman Show as well. I thought of Truman Show rewatching the game. You know, everybody's in on this whole world of, you know, actors and so forth. It's Conspiracy Theory 2 came out around this time, 97, I believe. That's the one with Sandra Bullock? No, no, that's no, a Mel Gibson, Gibson yeah. and uh, Julia Roberts. I'm thinking of Annette. Which is the one, like the Julia Roberts-Mel Gibson conspiracy theory where I suppose... It replays on TV so much. It's one of those, like, modern classics. But, um, yeah, there's a thread on IMDb about the game. And it talks about how out of character it is for Michael Douglas's character, Mr. Van Orton, who runs this efficient, time-based, you know, needs meetings. He's a CEO. How odd it is that he stays all day filling in forms for the CRS guys and that actor... And I know it's in his building or whatever, but like the fact that he bothers, like at some point, wouldn't he just go, no, this isn't yeah, yeah, worth this my is, time? This isn't worth the time, yeah, yeah. As you said, we saw it at this perfect age where we suspend belief, but you pick these holes, you know, you kind of pick apart at it when you're an adult, you go, well, why would why would he do that? You know, because you wouldn't necessarily do that. At some point you'd say, you know, you've sat around for two hours filling in psych forms and stuff, you don't even know what this is for. The argument is, that he's got nothing going on in his life. His father killed himself when he was 48. Michael Douglas is meant to be 48 here. In real life, he's 53. I didn't think he looked 48. No, um, me either, yeah. No, he's an old 48. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love Michael Douglas. I love his voice and everything. I, I love just seeing a guy like that. Like, this is the guy who played Gordon Gecko, Oliver mm-hmm. Stone's film, which is sadly the template for a lot of Wall Street guys. A lot of people get into Wall Street wanting to be Gordon Gecko, and Gordon Gecko, Oliver Stone said, no, he's the villain. He's the villain of our time. That's what I was trying to project here. And Michael Douglas has been stopped many times. Saying, You're Gordon Gecko. I've spent my whole life wanting to be. Yes. <laughs> so I love seeing that Teflon suit-coated guy from Wall Street dragged through the mud in this situation just Michael Douglas running away from bullets in this Mm. movie Uh, he's in situations that are just so crazy you know but there are things that took me out of it particularly how they started opening up in the streets with guns you know and stuff like that where are the cops where are they existing are they running why are they having this conversation in um, the subway where the brother's like going you're in on this aren't you why isn't Mm. he calling the cops he just got shot at you know things like that well some of it seems to just mess with him like because he gets that call and it's the replay of his own dialogue yeah. like it's just a mess with him yeah. you know uh, they're trying to drive him to suicide which is pretty messed up as it is but anyway um <laughs> the thing is just back to my 911 comment like there's a sequence where outside when he meets the girl for the first time and the guy collapses and he's like how do you know this guy is real you know and she's like you know get help and he picks up his phone like he's gonna call 911 as some cops roll up and obviously those cops are in on it because they take him to a custom built you know situation everybody's in on it had he called 911 then he would have got cops <laughs> yeah like real cops yeah 
Uh, so obviously didn't want that. So they had to come in and, you know, oh, well, there's some How weird was that moment where he's in the ambulance after that guy um, started choking or something mm. and they get carried over and then everyone just runs away and then they're stuck in this building and he goes, yeah. oh, this is all part of the game. Yeah. You know, I was just like, well, that's a bit weird. You know, that's the most extreme moment. And the rest of it was so well plotted, except for maybe the gun scene where they're all shooting the thing. I was just like, wow, that, that was such a weird scenario. Why would you have a scenario in a fake hospital where everyone runs away and leaves them in the dark? I don't know, maybe it was character building for the girl, but it's just so weird. I think they're trying to push him and her together. Yeah, that's the whole point. But as well, like, so many things could go wrong in this. Like, uh, somebody pointed out, what if he jumped off the other side of the building? You know what I mean? He's dead. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you can't plan everything. And as well, if he didn't jump, that actor was like, I'm glad you jumped, man, or else I would have had to push you. <laughs> like, seriously, imagine if he hadn't been able to push <laughs> yeah. him off. Like, there's so many things that could go wrong. Um, what if, and this, this is the big one for me, what if he's pointing the gun, Sean Penn and the guys open the door, and he decides not to shoot? He goes, oh, and he stops himself. Because he sees it's his brother, and he goes, "Oh well, I won't shoot." Like that—that that for me seemed like the most possible <laughs> point where he would have gone, "Nope, not going to shoot him." Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And then I mean, he's wearing this squib vest; it's all fake, all that sort of stuff. Like that's fine when it happens, but why would that happen? Like I feel like he wasn't so trigger crazy. Yeah. Do you think um, games like this would exist for those extremely wealthy? type things I, I think they have I think what would be more realistic is those eyes wide shut parties yeah for those that are really wealthy people but I love that meeting he has in that room in that sort of gentleman's club with those other guys and he's just like oh so what is the game and then he just quotes from the bible mm. once one's blind now I can see yeah I really like that and then but it it gave me a sense of wow this is only a world for the true elitists like someone like me could never ever even be entered in a game like that so it's just like oh so it's only for Scrooge you know it's a, it's a, it's a Christmas Carol story you know being visited by three ghosts yeah. <laughs> well the thing about it is you would have to control the entire environment yeah so what would happen is it would be like a how to host a murder party and they would have a scenario where you've got the grounds of an estate or something something that's controllable and it would take place yeah, across yeah, that that's yeah. how you would do it you wouldn't be able to do this in the real world although I like the idea of um like a pay it forward kind of game where people are constantly doing good or treasure hunts. You know, when people like will go, there's a thousand dollars somewhere in New York. Yeah, there's a huge game that people, oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name. A, a few of my friends play it where you do get coordinates and you have to get to them. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name. Oh, but they exist. They yeah. exist. There's plenty These of are the kinds yeah. of games like they're, they're short term, not like taking over weeks of your life and you get dropped in Mexico <laughs> and stuff like that. Wasn't that dangerous? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they must have been monitoring him. Yeah, they had to have been monitoring. He could have been robbed. He could have been, well, you know. The idea is to, you know, make him think he's lost all of his wealth. Yeah. And the only way they did that was um, they had the phone call where the guy was telling him the money's still there and they had to say he's in on it because that's the only choice they had. And if he'd gone, I'll check myself, then that would have been a whole different story. <laughs> but... Obviously, they put him in Mexico and he has to get back. And then they put up one sign that says foreclosure and he believes that, you know, there's no evidence. But I I did the first time around kind of pick that he still had his money and stuff. I never would have seen the whole he's going to kill himself thing coming. Because the twist is that he kills Conrad, really. That's the bit you don't see coming. Interesting fact. 
Jeff Bridges was actually offered the role of Conrad. Wow. So he would have pulled that off. These movies well. tie together a little bit. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, kind of a screw-up role. I suppose he could have done it. Um, Michael Douglas and um, Dave Finch haven't teamed up since, have they? I mean, I wouldn't think no, so. No, they haven't. No. I'd like to see another Michael Douglas got too. sick. He had throat cancer and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, I love Michael Douglas. He can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Criterion Laserdisc and the SE DVD feature an alternate ending where Nicholas Van Orden, Michael Douglas, comes out of a hotel, the hotel, declines a taxi and just walks away. And I suppose that's instead of him going with the girl, you know, and bumping into her and talking to her and, you know, deciding that though she's off to do another thing at the airport, she's taking off for another game, uh, he still wants to see her. So it's like a more depressing ending. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't really learn anything from it, and he walks away on his own. It's kind of a big downer, you know. Like maybe, I like that. Maybe he'll have a fling. Maybe it'll be fun. But yeah, you know, he's definitely changed at the end of the maybe movie. Maybe he'll kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. I just yeah. I suppose the game, the big issue with the game, is just that so much could go wrong. What about like the guy who drives him into the um, the lake, or the river? And he's supposed to figure out... He was in uh, Gladiator, that guy, as well. Yeah. Very distinctive face. <laughs> yes. And the guy who is the private eye um, was in Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, among other things. But they sh- he shoots the tire with the private eye. So it's a real bullet. So he could have accidentally killed the private eye who just runs off. <laughs> like, you're pushing a man and pushing a man at some point. Like, this accident's going to happen. I feel so sorry for his ex-wife mm. as well. <laughs> Probably so gets the car as well. <laughs> yeah. How's the hazard pay on being an actor in one of these games? Like, it must be high. You'd probably get shot or something. I thought one of the eerie parts is when he was getting trained as well, when he's going through that rigorous hours of training, mm-hmm. and he looks at the projector, like the projector just keeps uh, projecting these horrible images, and he's like, hey, is anyone there? And he's just looking, and it's that flood of that projector and so that was eerie just like wow you're stuck like a clockwork going just stuck in this room with horrible images one of my big nightmares i've always had when i was a kid was something horrible that was happening and i tried to shut my ears and uh shut 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 my eyes and cover my ears and no matter how hard i did that i could always see it and hear it it was this terrifying recurring nightmare i had when i was a kid and that's one of those moments being stuck in the room and you can't do anything Mm. you know just like oh gosh (laughs) yeah I think it's interesting that they were both twist movies, as I said, but um, watching Arlington Road now, I think, obviously knowing the twist, it has almost no impact. I watched both of these films with my wife. She hadn't seen either. So, like, a few nights apart or whatever, we rewatched. I rewatched both, but she was watching them for the first time, and she picked the ending of Arlington Road. Wow. Said, so he's driven the bomb in, hasn't he? You know, and it's because they spent too much time living in that moment. The time between, in the game, Michael Douglas's character shooting Sean Penn's character and jumping off the cliff is so short. It all happens so fast. It's split-second decision, and the editing reflects that. And the issue with Arlington Road is he's slowly running towards the boot. Gives you so much time to figure it out, all the dialogue. And it, like, the one thing she was like, whoa, that was awesome, was when the car crashes into the bus, when he's chasing this van, and he spins out. Because that was an accident. They didn't mean to do that. He was supposed to swerve around the bus, but that stuff, they stuffed up the stunt. So there's this bit in the scene that's a real car accident. Wow. And so she was like, whoa, that looks great. And I was thinking, it did look great. And then later on found out that it was... It was an actual real... Accidental, wow, that's yeah. cool. 
I think the Arlington Road spends too much time living in that twist. And it lets you pick it. You know, if it, imagine if he was just looking around, he was like, oh, the van's empty, and the explosion happens behind them in the split second, you know, so quickly afterwards. And then the aftermath explains it. They go, he must have been the bomber or whatever. And you're like, no, like, you never would see that coming. They obviously plant his car with bombs, uh, C4 or whatever it is, when Tim Robbins is getting punched in the face by him. Because they couldn't have got to the rental car company. It's not that intricate a web, presumably. They wouldn't pack his car you know, and let him drive around with C4 the whole time. But imagine if he is erratic driving, he'd been pulled over by cops. Yeah. And they just, that would stop the whole plan. Yeah. And then he would have all this to say about his neighbor and all this stuff. And yeah, the, so, such a loose end if he hadn't exploded. You know what I mean? So another one of those, you've got to suspend your belief. He's in Washington too, doing all this driving. The president lives in Washington. There's a huge police force. You would think the FBI would have a lot of police outside of it, or FBI agents. I can't think now pre-September 11th, but yeah, I agree with you, but maybe pre-September 11th they didn't. (laughs) I don't know. But you would think that every building... I mean, I worked at a cinema, and we had a bomb threat procedure. I worked at Toys R Us, there was a bomb threat procedure. What bomb threat procedure would the FBI have in place? Very elaborate one. (laughs) And you would think they wouldn't allow a car onto the premises, and then I know he's a friend of the... The, you know the other guy that works there but you got to really suspend your belief that he was able to get his car in there Arlington Road was like a, a, the screenplay was um, uh, an award winning screenplay like they did this uh, competition where scripts were all competing and it was one of the few ones that had won and then been created, produced wow. made into a film so it had a, I'm supposing a pretty good history as well but yeah I think the, the editing in the game the way that it cuts that final twist together uh tess my wife she as well was like whoa like he jumped off the building and then you kind of live in the fall for a little bit and just take in what's just happened i think it was just slicker editing and then when he lands on the massive x and you realize it's part of the game and that they made him jump you're kind of like what yeah but all in the lead up when you think about it and especially if you know the twist like you and i did you're like what so many well they drove him into a lake or a river what if he drowned like, what was the contingency there? Because he Isn't had that the, polluting. <laughs> he had the thing on his pocket. Like, imagine if he didn't realize. There's so many, so many times where this could have gone horribly wrong, and you're pushing somebody psychologically. It, it can, you know. Uh, just with the craftsmanship of both. Obviously, Seven and the director went off to do really grand uh, movies. The director of Arlington Road, I think he did Mothman. Prophecies. Uh, prophecies with Richard uh, Gear, yep. and he's done a lot of TV. So obviously, one, you know, David Fincher's an auteur not to be snobby or anything (laughs) but um Arlington Road there were some really well crafted moments like I don't like the popping in and out oh he's behind you the whole time like while he was um looking through that uh that painting like he's trying uh, sorry that sketch he was looking behind it trying to see that uh that blueprint and then of course Jones Cusack's behind her but there were really well crafted moments where after the girl talks on the phone um call it leaving a message going i think you're right and then joan cusack's right behind her and yeah. they have this awkward conversation what are you doing i'm shopping shopping and in <laughs> one shot her face expression changes to something a more serious tone mm. that was beautiful there was a really simple shot after jeff bridges pauses emotions about uh t- tells the whole story about how he pretty much his wife gets shot in that um uh, when they were trying to take down that family with the guns and then we see this weird shot just of him in a dark room. I don't know if you remember that for life, as if he's reading or mourning. And it's mm. just a 
uh, like a three second shot of that and then it fades to black they were really great wonderful I think he got the tone right in this movie I, I think the family Tim Robbins's family appeared way too much like Jason Voorhees they were so invincible they mm. kept popping in and out every, every, and everyone knew they were being watched that's the most annoying thing like that weird uh, Russian sort of guy turns around like after the girl drives away like as if he knew she was watching them the whole time like mm. oh that's that, I hate those shots I absolutely it was cringeworthy I was like oh my liver hurts <laughs> <laughs> But I, I I liked Arlington Road I, when I saw it the first time. I, I'm much older now and I'm seeing it a second time. I don't think this movie holds up, but I think the performances are, are, are really solid and maybe it brings up some interesting uh, points in this post-September 11th world. Um, the game, I still think, is worth absolutely seeing. It definitely doesn't work the second time, mm-hmm. but um, for especially considering who directed I definitely think you guys should take, check it out. If you can stand Michael Douglas, that was my wife's criticism. She doesn't like she's, Michael Douglas. <laughs> she's not a fan of Michael Douglas. No, uh, I can't really. You know, I'm indifferent. Yeah. I'm not hugely uh, fussed with Michael Douglas. I mean, uh, roles I like, roles I don't. It's um, not a huge deal for me. But um, I think the real gem of the game is Sean Penn's performance. Yeah, I think um, there's a beautiful tone to the game, as you say. Finch's uh, craftsmanship craft, is yeah, crafted a beautiful film and. Um, Arlington Road definitely didn't work the second time. This is the thing, is that in 1999, 2000, you know, I've watched this film and I've gone, wow, blown me away. I've got the poster on my wall. You know, this is like a <laughs> moment in my my life where I'm just like, this is and crazy. And you saw the cinemas. I did. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> and, and that's probably part of what, again, the immersion of seeing it in a darkened room and just living out this uh, Jeff Bridges role, just that, that impressed me. You know, and there's, I'm sure there are tons of films I've enjoyed the first time and I just haven't gone back to. And this is probably a good example of why you should. <laughs> we should probably, um, this is uh, a, 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 a probably a bad one because we both chose films with twist endings. Mm. Uh, it'd be interesting. I'm sure I've seen a film where I've gone back to worried about it and it has turned out to be as, every bit as good as I remember. Um, it's just unfortunate with this podcast, I chose the game with a big twist ending and watching it again just doesn't work the second time. No, this is the <laughs> thing. I mean, if you sometimes the second time around, you notice lots of things you never noticed before. Yeah. Right? I mean, Sixth Sense, I think you'd see that he never sort of talks to his wife properly you know that he doesn't sort of he reaches for the check just as she's pulling the check away sort of thing and he never gets to sort of there's no corporeal form you know there are things you spot the second time if you didn't realize he was a ghost and they're more interesting you know with these i suppose you know just as i said we're more cynical now we can't suspend our belief and and such as we could when we were you know 16 to 18 sort of thing so i suppose um yeah these came along at a good time in our lives but uh, now, unfortunately, we're grumpy old men. Who, um, <laughs> Have we turned into that? <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 we need to do the game. <laughs> I can't explain it. If you guys want to find more from us, podmeifyoucan.com. You can find a link there for our YouTube channel. We do obscure film reviews with famous people in them. Lots of those coming up every week. Um, we've got a whole month of a certain actor coming up as oh, well. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for that one. It's all going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to lots of films in 2015 and... Uh, yeah, just uh, it's going to be a big year. Yeah, I think. It's going to be a massive year. I love 2014. It's been great, you know, so um, I can't wait. Um. Uh, 2015, the amount of titles we have coming up. <laughs> yeah. um, we're going to be in, in and out of movies. And let's hope that 14 years after seeing them, we still think they're good. <laughs> Unfortunately, unlike these films. <laughs> but thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.
Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews.